0: Welcome everybody who is here and those who are online. We had a little bit of trouble getting started this morning um, because of the issue here with, with the laptop for the projection. But uh, thanks be to God we got that resolved, and hopefully that um, is able to be seen uh, okay to those that are watching online. So today we will be continuing the study in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 is a very rich chapter especially the first 3 verses. We've been uh, in these 3 verses now for the third consecutive week and that's why the sermon today is part 3 of that same title True versus counterfeit righteousness. I have a, a quick story that I'll tell you guys about my son to give us a a good illustration of how many times we may think about what is needed for us to reach a particular goal, or to be right with God, or to be able to afford what we owe. My son came to me the other day, and he showed me some coins, it was about maybe 75 cents, and I told him, oh, what are you going to use that money for, and he said, Daddy, with this money, we're going to pay our next vacation, right, and uh, you know, I mean, little does he know, 75 cents cannot afford a vacation, right? So as we take a look at the study this morning and we think, what does it take for us to be right with God? With us being sometimes not acknowledging of or ignorant of how much it takes to be right with God, we too may come and show a couple of coins in our hand as our own righteousness and say, hey, I think I have enough to be right with God. Without realizing that we are falling far, far short of what's needed. Because what's needed is perfection. And that perfection is the perfection of Christ. So we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that today. If you are able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. We are in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The word of God reads, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, as we speak about your word today about... Us putting no confidence in what man can do, remind us that you have done what it takes to be right with a glorious and perfect and holy God. May this be your own doing, Lord, and none of us. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. Thank you. So, the sermon title here, as I mentioned, is part three of True versus Counterfeit Righteousness. The book of Philippians has been a book of encouragement, exhortation, to continue in the faith, to be servants of each other. Ultimately, right, pointing to Jesus. He's the ultimate servant that we serve, that we look to in order for us to imitate him. In chapter 3, as Paul begins to put emphasis now on a particular warning, he makes a distinction between those who have fake righteousness versus those who have true righteousness. Last week, we covered what it looks like to those that appear to have righteousness, but they actually don't. They are a group of Judaizers. that is the religious Jews of the day, that were trusting in a physical sign, something that they could see, feel, And that was circumcision. They thought because God had ordained for them to be circumcised, that therefore, they skipped to the front of the line and they would be right with God. Because of something they did. Today, in continuing the warning of Paul, Paul now lays out the contrast, the characteristics of what a true righteous person looks like before God. Let us remind ourselves, what do we mean when we say righteousness? When we talk about being righteous before God, what we mean is meeting the moral standard that is demanded by God in order to be right with Him. Meeting the moral standard that God demands. That's what we mean when we say righteousness or being righteous before God. So we learned already that being right with God, as we spoke last week, is not based on something we can do as humans or by being good people, because there's no such thing as good people when it comes to the standard of God. That having a physical sign, in this case, the Jewish people were thinking, we have the sign of the covenant, we have circumcision, we're good. Paul is issuing a warning and saying, that is... Is going to do you no good if your heart is not circumcised if your mind your life has not been transformed that sign of circumcision is going to do you no good now we may say well of course that's kind of silly how can somebody think that circumcision will make them right before god well let us apply that warning to us my friends we can perhaps think well i mean i go to church or my parents brought me in the church since I was little or I do mostly good things I mean I even do things for the church or hey I got baptized or I said a prayer right add on to that list whatever it is that is common in the evangelical culture but these things my friends is no assurance that you are saved you can be baptized you can profess the name of Christ You can come to church every Sunday to to congregate. And that is no guarantee that we are made right with God through any of those things. Now those things are good. Those could be signs that we are truly born again. But may we not trust in those things. I've literally heard some close friends of mine say, uh, you know, their brother was not doing that well. And he said, well, you know, he's baptized, so whatever happens, he's going to be okay. You see the misconnection there. They're trusting in the fact that that person was baptized, and therefore he would be okay if he died. That's the warning for us today. Because we know, as we look at, for instance, Romans 3.20, what the scripture says. Romans 3.20 says, for by, works of, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Here we see two things. First, we see that nothing we do within our human capacity will ever make us right with God. No work that we do, right? No good deed, right? If we follow the law of God, the Ten Commandments, ultimately that's, Doing what God says. But we can't do it. We fail. And therefore, by those works we cannot be made right with God. And secondly, from Romans 3:20, we see that this knowledge we have, it leads us to know that we cannot keep the commandments. It's impossible. Not only because it's impossible to do them, but when Jesus came on the scene. And he interpreted those com- those commandments for us. Jesus actually said, you're not only guilty if you do them, you're guilty if you think them. If in your heart you commit, you lust after a woman, if in your heart you hate your brother so much, right there you're already an adulterer in heart and you're already a murderer. So Jesus, instead of easing up that burden, he made it heavier and making it known that it's impossible to meet those commandments in our own human strength and will. Then the question this morning becomes then how? How then can we become right with God? We will explore that today so that we can see the characteristics of a truly righteous person before God. We see in in the previous verse that we talked about last week that Paul mentions fake righteousness are those that are unclean he labels them as dogs those are workers of evil they continuously do evil thinking that they're doing good and then that they are of the false circumcision they are coming to God based on a physical right something they did to become right with God now today this morning we're gonna look at the contrast the three characteristics of a true righteous person those three characteristics will be someone who worships by the spirit of God someone who glories in Christ Jesus and someone who puts no confidence in the flesh okay we'll see those three things so let's dig in first those that have true righteousness are those that have those that have worship those that worship by the Spirit of God so going back to Philippians 3 3 for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh okay first in anything we note that Paul says for we are the circumcision we are so this is an issue of identity who are they When Paul says, for we are, he's following up on what he said in the previous verse. He's denouncing those that are false, of the false circumcision, those that are not children of God, and then there are those who are children of God. Paul says, we are, not them, we are. When we see this type of language in the Word of God, we realize then, That God, through His Word, addresses His children, and it is done so in a discriminatory fashion. God distinguishes before His children, His people, and those that are outside of the people of God. That is a very clear distinction. Now, to recap what we said last week on the issue of discrimination, right? We don't mean this in the way that we've been conditioned by our culture to talk of discrimination, obviously we are not talking about discriminating on the basis of someone's skin color on the basis of someone's culture on the basis of someone's social status we don't mean that god makes it clear in his word that he is no discriminator of persons based on those things and therefore if we do we are in sin we are not to do that However, there is another type of discrimination that is to be applied, and is biblical. That comes with discernment of how we make wise and godly choices in our everyday life. Some things that we do will honor God. Some things, some choices that we do will not honor God. And we need to have the discernment to discriminate between those things. We apply this by having a biblical worldview. What does the scripture say? applying that to the, to our everyday life. So in this context, where there are those who honor God, there are those who don't honor God, the scripture brings this concept of discriminating between true righteous people and those that are not righteous. God says to some people, you are my people and says to others, in no uncertain terms, you are not my people. It is not my job To make this distinction as a preacher. I can't do that. I don't know the hearts of people. However, it is my job as a preacher to lead each of you to make that determination. Young, old, child, all of you need to come to make that determination to yourself. Do I belong to the people of God or not? Based on what? Based on what the scripture says. Let us take a look at Romans 8 verses 8 through 10. This passage right here is rich. It echoes the theme that we're talking about in the first three verses of Philippians 3. It tells us that the flesh, that is by our own doing, by our own good deeds, by something that we do, it says we cannot please God. It's impossible. Secondly, it tells us that if the Spirit of God dwells in us, then we do belong to God. Because of... His righteousness. And then. It makes clear again. That it's not by anything we do. But because the spirit of Christ. Dwells in us. Then our obedience will be the fruit. Of us. Having a sign of being a true child of God. But it's not by anything we do. What we do is a result. Of being a child of God. So then we see the distinction here. The contrast that Paul is making in no uncertain terms. There is a false circumcision in verse 2. And then there is the true circumcision. And Paul says, they are not, we are the true circumcision. The true people of God. Now, we got to be careful here. Because it is very common to be lured by the notion of, well, you know, in the end we are all children of God. In the end, everything will work out as long as you're sincere. As long as I'm not a murderer or a thief, I'm going to be okay at the end of the day, right? That is a, generally speaking, uh, let's all hold hands and get along, right? When it comes to the issues of who God is and what He accepts and what He does not. But no, that is not true. That would be unloving. Rather, we are Not all okay. We will not be okay in the end without Christ. We need to repent and follow Christ. And we need to do that now. There's no such thing as. Everyone will be okay in the end. As long as they're sincere. So God. Reminds us this. When speaking of false prophets. Of the lies that those false prophets were telling his people. He pronounces judgment on them. We see that in Ezekiel. Verse uh, Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 10. It says, Precisely because they, that is the false prophets, have misled my people, saying peace when there is no peace. So we, me as a preacher, you as a Christian, cannot tell a non-Christian, don't worry, you'll be okay. Because then we'll be becoming a false prophet, like we just saw there, saying peace when there is no peace. so a very clear distinction there. So with that, it's important to highlight, right? That there is a distinction. There is a discriminatory aspect of how God views people. Now that we understand that, let's take a look at the first characteristic of those who have true righteousness. And that is that those who really know God, they worship by the Spirit of God. Worship by the Spirit of God. Something that we have to be aware of is that everybody worships. Everybody. Whether they consider themselves religious or non-religious, secular, spiritual but not religious, whatever label someone wants to put on themselves, everyone worships. They worship something or someone. The first pastor that I was under He used to often say, you want to know who you worship? Make a note. Make a timeline for two weeks to a month of what you spend your time on, what you spend your money on. Obviously, aside from the essentials, like I need to eat and I need shelter, right? I need a home. Other than that, list out what your priorities are. What you spend your time on. What you spend your money on. And he says, at the end of that period, you will see who your God is, or what your God is. If we think about it, it's kind of scary to do that, right? Because I want to believe that I worship the true God, and that I'm sold out for Him. But if I really start thinking, what are my priorities? We start to see that I do have put others before God, other things, other false gods before Him. So we need to be aware of what is it that we worship? Is it an idol? Or do we indeed worship the true God? Again, warning about false teachers who lead people astray, the Apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter 2.19, They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Right? Following what we do, what we most cherish. What is that? What are we enslaved to? What do we value so much that we give our full allegiance to? Money, sex, desire for power, desire for more possessions, desire for others to think that I'm doing a great job raising my kids and making everything appear just right. Facebook, Instagram. I got to make sure I get those likes so that others think highly of I me. Mean, that's pride. Fear of man. What else is going to think of me? Now, some of those things obviously are not evil, right? We we want to do well in our dogs. We want to raise our family in a godly way. But now we need to do those because we are doing those things as unto the Lord, not because we've become consumed and we are enslaved by those endeavors. But because I love Christ and I want to make Him known, that's why I would strive for excellency in everything that I do. 1 Corinthians 7.22 says, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. So let us become... Overcome by Christ, consumed by the love of Christ, by who He is, so that we are slaves to Him. And everything else follows. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all those other things will then be added to us. So the worship of all false belief systems, including secularism, is then spiritual in nature. But it is not done according to truth. We all worship something or someone, and that is by its own nature spiritual, but we don't always worship in truth. Then what what must we do then? We need to be reminded that in order to be true worship and acceptable worship to God, it must be done through the one that God the Father appointed, Jesus. As Jesus famously said in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? Those who worship are going to be worshiping in spirit and in truth. And that truth is Christ. We must come to God only through Christ. Otherwise, we are worshiping in spirit. But we are worshiping in lies, in falsehood, in what's an abomination to God. Therefore, we must come to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. Second characteristic of those that have true righteousness would be that true believers glory in Jesus Christ let's focus there on, on the second portion of Philippians three three. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. To glory in Christ Jesus, the word that is used there, is to boast in, to show off, to literally say, Hey, look, look what I have. To boast of something. And that boasting is to be done only in what, what Christ has done. Is taking credit, not for anything we did, but hey, look what Christ did. Boasting only in Christ when it comes to issues of spirituality and whether we are right with God or not. We can only boast in what Christ has done. A good reminder of boasting in the Lord is in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. It says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So then we are reminded not to boast in anything that we have, any ability that we have, whether it's wisdom, riches, etc., That in itself is a gift from God. All good gifts come from above. As the book of James says, right? So therefore, we can only boast in what Christ has done. We are reminded of this in the wonderful hymn, How Deep the Father's Love, which says, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Right? Very succinct and a brief summary of what we should boast of. Thirdly, the third characteristic of a true believer who has true righteousness is that that person puts no confidence in the flesh. The context here is that the religious Jews were putting their trust literally in a fleshly thing, in circumcision. And because of that they thought, you know, we got we got that going for us, we're good putting confidence in the flesh. They missed the ultimate intent, which was to have a circumcised heart, as we saw last week. To have a changed heart, a changed life. And we might say, once again, right? Of course, we can have... It would be silly to have confidence in circumcision. What is that going to do? But again, how often do we think, well, you know, I'm a Christian because... I've been baptized because I take communion, because I go to church. We become just like the Jewish people, pointing to boasting in something we have done. And as our human nature, we're wired immediately to say, well, I've done this, I've done that. And the Word of God reminds us, you cannot boast in anything you did or are doing if you are to be right with God. You are to abandon that. So if we are anywhere near having a response of something we do, something we have done in order to be right with God, we are in the wrong track. We are not grabbing grasp of the gospel. Something that is coming up here in Philippians 3 in a couple of weeks. Paul is about to explain how that if it was up to being right with God, if that was a matter of being an exemplary religious person, Paul is going to go on to say, if it were a matter of being a good Jew, Paul basically says, I have all of you beat. And I can prove it. I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees. I can show you how much more righteous than you I actually am, if you want to measure by deeds. Paul is not afraid to show them his record and say, I got you. I'm a better Jew than you are, right? He says this in Philippians 3 after expounding upon how good of a Jew he could be in Philippians 3 then Paul says this, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So Paul then is saying, all my excellencies and high marks as a Jew in which I can outperform all of you. Paul is saying all that, I count it literally as animal waste. That's how much is meant to me. And Paul is saying, I abandoned all those good deeds. How much better as a Jew I was than you guys. I abandoned them. Because I have found Christ. You see that? Now if Paul was a good person and could, could take credit for that, Paul knew better. He said, I would be condemned if I come to God showing him how good I am. Paul says, All that is rubbish. So then we're reminded in order to gain the righteousness of Christ, we must do as as Paul did. He rejected all his religious righteousness as a practicing Jew. He abandoned it. He declared it as animal dung, literally. So then what? What about us? Have we left behind the facade of being a good person? Have we left behind the desires to be to want to be thought of as a good person as a good pastor as a good Christian so that others can see how well I'm doing have we abandoned that? unless we renounce that desire we cannot and will not gain the righteousness of Christ never whether it is wisdom like oh look how much scripture I know or I said that prayer I'm good Or I got baptized. No. We must abandon taking credit for anything we have done. So that we can be reconciled by the righteousness of Christ. To a holy God. Either we claim the righteousness of Christ. By putting our faith in Him. Or we claim our own self-righteousness. Which will separate us from God. There's no room to claim both. No room to claim the righteousness of Christ. the good things that we've done. There's no room for that. It's only room for one or the other. May God illuminate our hearts and minds. May the Holy Spirit of God convict us to know that we can only be right with Him, can only have true righteousness if we cling to the righteousness of Christ and abandon all other things. So then, what can we summarize here? First, where do I fall? In the divide, in that discrimination between God's people and everybody else. Jesus says that the, the path, the road that leads to eternal life, it's narrow. And there are not many who find it. It's like a single file line. And the path that goes to perdition, it's wide. It's like a parade. You know, like those marches they be having nowadays? Basically, I'm going straight to hell. Which are we on? Are we on the single file or are we where the world is? 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. So this constant reminder in Scripture, like after we understand that we need a Savior, that we are not good with God, the constant reminder of perseverance, of holding on, of pressing through, not to gain salvation, but to obey, to abide in Christ, because Him who perseveres to the end will be saved. And Paul that reminds us, That if we are in Christ, if Christ is in us, we will not fail the test. Because our confidence is not in how good I'm doing, but in what Christ has done. And because of that, I obey my master. I came across this week as I was preparing for this, a short quote from the great Charles Spurgeon. And he said, quote, the gospel is not a reward for health, but a medicine for sickness. So the more that we try to make it seem as though we are good, like we are okay, we're going to make it in our own goodness, what we're essentially doing is we're rejecting the gospel. Like, I'm not sick. I don't need that. And the gospel reminds us, Jesus tells us that He came for those who are sick. We need Him. It's like a doctor who makes a correct and precise diagnosis of a patient and then provides the correct remedy. That's the ultimate physician, our Lord Jesus Christ. He knows what our issue is. It's an issue of the heart. Our heart is not circumcised. We need to be put into into His divine surgery, if you will, take out that hard heart and put in a heart of flesh. No good doctor knowing that a patient has a terminal condition tells them that they will be okay. That would be ludicrous. You would be okay just if you make better choices. No. A good doctor will give the diagnosis and will say, you need treatment badly. You need it now, or else you're gonna die. Likewise, we need the gospel we need it now. Otherwise, we're lost. Secondly, as we saw here, the signs of a true believer that worships by the Spirit of God, boasts only in Christ and puts no confidence in ourselves, spirituality or ability, where do we fall? Where do we fall this morning? This can serve two purposes as we ask ourselves this. First, we could be in a spot where we say, well, yes, I'm right with God because I have done X, Y, or Z. And we fall in that trap again. We're appealing to what we have done. And if we do so, we stand rebuked this morning before the Word of God. May the Holy Spirit convict us to then say, I know I can please God out of my own goodness. I have none. The requirement is too much. I cannot come to God with this couple of coins in my hand and say, I think I can pay you with this. When the bill required to be paid cannot be paid with the whole money in the world. So we need to realize, as Philippians 3, nine says, that we need to be found in Him, having a righteousness that is not our own, but their righteousness that is Christ. We can be baptized and not believe. We can take the Lord's Supper and not believe. We can congregate and not believe. So let us not put any confidence in those things. Which leads us to the last thing here. Let us put confidence. Let us boast. Let us show off to the world. What Christ has done. This will be proof. That we put no confidence in anything we have done. But that we put all of our confidence. That we boast in. Only what Christ has done in the cross. I'll close with this scripture. Galatians 6.14. Which says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for reminding us that we cannot appeal to any good works that we've done because those will never be enough. To satisfy a holy and righteous and perfect God. The only way that we can appease the justice of a holy God. Is by perfection itself. Perfection in bodily form. Which is our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us put all our trust in the life, the death, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ so that the Holy Spirit may embolden us to live for Him and proclaim that same truth to others as a beggar who has no bread, but that we know where the Master that has a feast is at, and that anyone who comes to Him will not be rejected. Let us rejoice in that, that we have come to that feast this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen